So uh, I, I'm going to look with you uh, for a bit um, this afternoon, uh, more in the gospel uh, according to Mark. If you have a text, uh, open it up to chapter 2, turn it on to chapter 2. Uh, we've been spending time in Mark for the last few Sundays, and then that was interrupted by our, our, our uh, smaller religion, uh, NFL, football, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything, but I'll just let that sit with you. Um, but we had a Super Bowl service last, uh, last Sunday, and the Sunday before that we were in Riverside uh, gathering with uh, the other two congregations in our region of churches. Uh, but, so you have to think back a while, uh, but we were going through Mark chapter 1. And the plan was to do that for, for some time. Uh, but that program will be interrupted a bit over the next six-ish Sundays uh, so that we can spend time thinking about Jesus' crucifixion. And I know you were excited about this, but to think about pain and suffering. <laughs> uh, but this is a time that the church has historically kind of tried to enter into a new way of, of being and sacrificing and cleansing. Um, but this is all going to culminate for us on Easter Sunday, where we will celebrate the resurrection as a reality, where we will uh, rejoice because of new creation, which appears on the other side of great loss and death. It's a time, and this will scare you as well if suffering didn't send you out of the room, this will surely scare you. It's a time of repentance. Uh, I know everyone loves that language. Uh, I don't know, have you ever been told to repent? It's a wonderful thing to hear. My wife says that to me on a regular basis, repent. Um, it's a time of, of turning back to God. And sometimes repentance, what it does for me, what it does for a lot of us is remind us that we're not okay. Gives us something to feel shame for or anxious about. And that's precisely why the church has taken time on a regular basis to think through repentance, because that's not the idea. Repentance is, in fact, very, very good news, not in itself, but because it's a turning back. And that's basically what we mean here when we use the word repentance. It's a turning back to God, whom we find every time we turn back to him to be, as Paul says in Ephesians, Rich in mercy, forgiving and gracious. So we could say it's a time of looking at passages and thinking about suffering and darkness and in our own lives and repentance. And that could be really heavy. But what we find, in fact, is grace. We could maybe say it's a time of grace and renewal. And if you have nothing for which to be renewed, <laughs> uh, this is a time for you to pay attention. You probably do. If you're like me, uh, all it takes is a little bit of time between this Sunday and the next coming Sunday to adopt new liturgies and new ways of worshiping and praising and my idolatries and my struggles and the things which beat me down and take me off course. 
God wants to renew his people that they might feel his life, vitality, and abundance. So this is a time to think and to turn back to God if we need to. Um, So I'm excited for that, even though that that sounds heavy. I I don't think it will be. I think it will be moments where it is, uh, but I think taking an honest look at some of the things God wants to show his people will inevitably culminate in some real growth and enthusiasm. Um, So we have a wonderful uh, passage today in chapter 2 of Mark, which is a great introduction to this idea. Um, So let's read it. Uh, We're we're skipping ahead. We're still in Mark today, but we're we're skipping ahead a number of verses to chapter 2 in verse 18. So if you would... And if you're able, if you're willing, would you stand for the reading of the gospel? Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and the new from the old And a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskin. You may be seated. So this is this is a really I mentioned before that, that Mark is, is, very, is very literary. It seems that the author has taken some time to assemble a story of Jesus which makes points in very literary ways. That is to say, the text itself, is the way he's written, is making points. Not just the content, but the, the way he's organized stories. Together, uh, they work to make some pretty cool points. So at this point in Mark's account of the gospel, uh, we enter into what has been called a uh, a Markan sandwich. Uh, So here's the idea. Uh, This comes up on a regular basis in the Bible, or we called it intercalation. I remember when I was in grad school. But what will happen is you'll take, just like a sandwich, two pieces of bread, and then you'll have meat and cheese and vegetables or whatever else in the middle, uh, but on either side is bread. Mark's version of a sandwich is he'll have stories that are very similar on either side, and then stories in the middle of those stories, and all of the stories kind of bounce and reflect and resonate off of one another, making a larger point. So we're, we're how you doing? English class for a couple minutes. Um, so we're, we're entering into one of these sandwiches. In fact, we're deep. We're like at the level of the, 
how do you say it? Gardenera? Gardenera? You know what I'm talking about? The peppers? How do you say that, by the way? No one knows. Everyone's afraid to pronounce it. Gardenera. Um, we're deep in the sandwich. Uh, but we're going to get a story about healing and how Jesus' healing uh, confronts and causes or creates conflict with uh, some ways uh, of, of observing the religion in Jesus' day, people around him. And then we're going to get three short stories involving religion and food. And then we're going to get another story uh, about healing and religion. So we're, we're in the middle here. Uh, and one of these stories about food uh, or maybe stories about the absence of food. Uh, but this chapter, it's the first or these verses rather is the first time in Mark's account we get a hint of Jesus's future. And I don't know if you caught it, but he tells this parable-like story about a bridegroom and a wedding, and he says that the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Uh, it'll take a while, but if we read on, we'll see, oh, Jesus, this is the first time he's hinting at his own death, his absence among his disciples. Uh, but these these verses that we read about eating or not eating make a lot more sense when we read what comes before. How you doing? I'm going to save us time. We won't read it. It's only a few verses. You should read it, though. Verses 13 through 17 in chapter 2. And there, uh, Jesus, he calls a man named Levi who is a tax collector. Uh, Someone no one in town appreciates very much or even likes or wants to tolerate. Uh, Something of a traitor, betraying your people and going over to the enemy to work for them and then to collect their hard-earned money for the sake of the Roman Empire. If you're a Jew, you don't love the tax collector who's one of your people but basically jump ship and join the empire, right? Jesus calls one of these individuals to follow him. Like Jesus doesn't discriminate at all. He summons a guy. He knows all the rest of the followers are probably not going to (laughs) love or at least have to work through some things to walk along with him. Uh, But he calls them. And then we're transported to a dinner, apparently that evening, at this tax collector's home. And now it's not just tax collectors. Matthew's... uh, co-workers, or Matthew, Levi, is probably the same guy here, um, but Levi's co-workers, but there's also these figures called sinners, and they're all just hanging out and eating. And you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's how some Christians might feel being caught at a bar that's known to be a place where many homosexuals hang out. Some, some people be like, ooh, what? Why would you do that? You're, you're, you're going to contaminate yourself hanging out with people like this. Hanging out with different people. People who are known to be re- rebellious and sinful. We know that we shouldn't 
hang out with them, let alone have a meal together. Because that's the biggest way of giving a kind of stamp of approval on the relationship. I accept you. I affirm you. I, let's eat together. And Jesus is doing all the wrong things. He must have not been brought up well and been catechized in the faith, taught how to observe uh, his religion. Here he is having dinner with the unwanted, those who the religious folks don't want. And they ask, how can you do that? He says, I've come to call like a doctor, the sick. Healthy people, they don't need a doctor. It's the people who are sick and they know they're sick. I'm going to them. I'm happy to have dinner here. And then we're, this next story, more issues of food and more issues of religion. Now, do you remember John the Baptist? He had a following. People following him. Uh, his message was largely, when we read about in Mark, repent, turn back to God. This is a dude who hung out in the desert, apparently, for long periods of time eating bugs and dressing like a prophet. And he wasn't like in the king's palace. And he had a whole following uh, of him. He's been arrested. But his followers kept the fasts. And the, the Pharisees, another kind of... Uh, upstart renewal movement within Judaism to get back. They're kind of like, if you're a member of the churches of Christ, you're a part of what's called the restoration movement. The Pharisees are like a restoration movement. They're, they're not bad folks. Uh, sometimes we get the impression that they're all wrong and twisted up and God doesn't love them. No, actually, they, they're pretty spot on with a lot of their teaching, we find. Uh, they're an upstart kind of renewal movement to get Israel back on track, focusing on the text and the religion. So you have these two movements, John the Baptist and his followers, and the Pharisees. And they observe fasts on a regular basis. In the Gospel according to Luke, we're told that the Pharisees fast twice a week. Every week they're fasting twice a week. Now there's nothing in what we call the Old Testament which tells uh, uh people of the faith, that they should fast twice a week. It's only really one place where a fast is uh, commanded. You're supposed to fast, and that's on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a very solemn day about forgiveness. And fasts develop later. Uh, it's really cool. In the, in the prophet Zechariah, we learn that by his time, many years later, uh, after a lot of national crises has happened in Israel that there developed uh, four, four more fasts throughout the year. Uh, but the prophet says God's going to turn those fasts into feasts one day. It's pretty cool. But fasting is, okay, so let me ask you, fasting good or bad? Well, I don't know. Have you fasted? It's bad. Come on. Who, who, who loves, okay, uh, we just got a birth announcement, right? Let's fast in celebration of it. <laughs> let's, let's not eat as a way of acknowledging to, to show our faith. Like, no one does that because fasting hurts. <laughs> it's not fun. 
We're not talking fasting here just as like some kind of spiritual practice to, to, be, uh, to be more spiritual and exercise self-denial. Some of those are byproducts of fasting, but fasting really making an intentional decision. And we're not talking about like sometimes you'll hear I'm, I'm fasting from Netflix for Lent. Or I'm fasting from whatever, sex for Lent. Like that, that's, that's not fasting. <laughs> nice try, but if you're going to fast, we're talking about you going without food. That's much less, uh, much more difficult in my mind than going without Netflix. Even a day without food is harder than a month without Netflix for most. But you do this as a sign of mourning. And in fact, in Matthew's account of this, uh, he says that he says at the wedding, when there's a wedding, he, he says you don't fast, you don't mourn. That's what fasting is about. It's it's a way of embodying loss and suffering in our bodies, participating in darkness. I love what Henry Nouwen says in one of his journals. He says, Uh, Part of the goal of Christians is to make their personal pain the pain. That is, to see their own pain as not just their pain, but as the pain that everyone experiences, even God himself. To move from just my personal suffering to I participate in a world of sufferers and those who lose and grieve. Fasting is about entering into that reality. It's not pleasant. No one says, I'm fasting. Like, it's exciting. I'm fasting today because I'm spiritual. Like, we fast because it feels like the most appropriate thing to do to embody that loss within ourselves. It ain't a, it ain't a poker chip to get God to do something although it does have to do with waiting and acknowledging that something is wrong. This is what Jews of Jesus' day, and previously this is why Yom Kippur, you fast. You're talking about your sin and your need for cleansing. Fast develop uh, around later, like when the temple falls in 586-87. We fast as a way of acknowledging. And now to fast, because that's the case, because fasting is a difficult thing connected with a certain level of sadness and not just a way to have a a better, more spiritual day. Because that's the case, it's very appropriate for the people of God to fast. And at no point does Jesus wipe fasting off the map like the church doesn't fast. He even says there'll come a time when it'll be right for them to fast. But it's because it's a way of acknowledging things are not right and we long for God to act. But in Jesus' day, they apparently had developed where even twice a week they're fasting. And now here's Jesus feasting when they're supposed to be fasting. And in Matthew's account, we learn that these two things happen simultaneously, this feast and then this question about the, uh, the fasting. How are you guys doing? We're getting there. Um, but Jesus has got his feet up celebrating 
And they're like, you must not be a very serious upstart religious movement, you and your, your followers. Because the most serious movements among us, John and the Pharisees, they know what the scriptures say. They are seeking God. But you and your followers, you almost not be very serious because you're acting like it's all good. You're not joining them. You're not setting an example. You're not really following the religion. You're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> now, this could be just an honest question. Maybe it's a little antagonistic. Why aren't you fasting? I think it's a little antagonistic. I don't think they're hostile. But it's a, it's a legitimate question. There's a difference between the way Jesus rolls and the way the, the church of the day is carrying out its life. Jesus, Jesus answers them with these metaphors and parables, which, man, I've been sitting with this text for a few weeks because I knew I was had to say something about it to y'all. Um, and I'm baffled. I'm a little intimidated to even try to, to give perfect, here, here's what's going on. Uh, and I think that's part of the point. We have to enter into what's being said here. But they ask him, why don't you fast? And he brings up a bridegroom. This is a common image in in the Old Testament as well. Really beautiful. Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, Hosea chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5 brings us up. This notion that God marries his people. He's your husband, the prophet Isaiah tells the exiles. That's, that, that, that's probably definitely on the radar at least, and Jesus brings this up. And he often describes entrance into the kingdom of God or life under this newly inaugurated reign of God as a wedding banquet. It's a celebration. And he points to it and says it would make no sense at the time of a wedding when the bridegroom is among you to say, let's fast. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Because now is a time of celebration. It's not all. Sometimes your religion gets suspended its rules for the reality right in front of you. Right? Legalism is not God's will for his people. It's like the, the, the brother or sister who didn't make it to church because he was helping uh, the poor. I, I know a story of a, a brother who worked for like the FBI helping sex trafficking uh, victims get to safety and he missed midweek that night. <laughs> Why'd you miss midweek? Like, oh, you're right, I was saving people's lives. Sometimes... You got to read the room. Sometimes you got to pay attention what's going on and allow all the things you're so sure need to happen to tell you you're doing the right things. Just relax. Pay attention. Now is a time for celebration. It's not going to last forever. 
Jesus is going around healing people, driving evil spirits from people's lives, telling them the good news of God's love for them and his desire for them to come and find his mercy. He's healing those who are sick and blind. Earlier in chapter 2, the first healing of this little section, he tells a man he forgives him. And he calls him to stand, a man who's never stood. And that the text ends with, we never saw anything like this. Jesus' Jesus's ministry is so surprising and catches everyone off guard. Pay attention. Like, that dude couldn't walk and you want to fast? Like, like, these people thought they didn't belong. And now they know they do. And you want to fast? Now is a time of salvation. Now is a time of God's abundance and for that abundance to be shared with all. You guys have a way of doing things, I know. You keep a fast twice a week. That's great. There are more weighty matters, though. This matters. Oddly, the thing, this is, this is what's crazy to me, to to me. Maybe you get to sit with this for it to register or I'm weird. But the thing which fasting tries to do, the thing which fasting tries to connect us to and point us toward is happening in their midst. That God might intervene and start to fight against the darkness. How can you fast when the thing you're fasting for is right in front of you? You can stop fasting for a minute. God has heard your prayers. Here is the kingdom of God right in front of you. But see, that happens to us. That happens to them. Because it happens to us, I think, is why it's included. Because we can be like, no, 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 I got to get to church. No, no, no. I got to keep the fast. Nope, nope. Right? All the while missing what's happening right in front of you. Now is the time of celebration. You should have some... Get... Get these guys a burger, right? Get them. Sorry, Monica. Don't get them a burger. Uh, yeah, like wheat germ or something. I don't know what you eat when you're healthy. But, um, uh, but get them something to eat. Now is the time for feasting. And somebody says there's coming a time. And this is what's really, I think, interesting and difficult for me. Um, it says a time is coming when the, the bridegroom shall be taken away. Not he will get married and go on his honeymoon or he'll start a new life with his new bride. No, he shall be taken from you. I mean, it's unmistakable. If We have to read on, but since most of us know how the story goes, right? You see what's happening. This is a wedding that includes violence. Someone's going to come and stop this wedding. We get a first glimpse in Mark's gospel of where the future is headed. What it means to celebrate now will create a situation. I'm sorry. Celebrating now will mean that in the future you will suffer. The, the act of celebrating God's abundance in this time of healing and of salvation will mean suffering in the need for loss. Mostly because, well, the the evil one isn't enthused, but neither are the religious folks. 
And breaking the rules like this are going, is going to mean Jesus' death. In fact, later is another story about food, but it's, now it's food on the Sabbath. And after the little story, it says they go out and they plot with the Rodians how they're going to take Jesus out. You can't go around doing it. You can't rewrite the rules of the game. You can't change the religion for crying out loud, even if it is a time of salvation. You can't do that. You can't forgive sins. Who do you think you are? But Jesus holds his line. It's time to celebrate. Okay. But then he goes into two stories which are incredibly rich. And it has to do with the feasting leading to some fasting. He says, nobody, it's kind of like, here's something you don't do. Uh, you don't take a, 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 like a new pair of jeans. You know, like the 501 Levi's that are like, un, are they fold but not shrunk or shrunk but not fold? I don't know. Um, but you don't go buy a pair of those and cut a piece out of them to patch a pair of your old jeans, right? Because as soon as you throw those bad boys in the wash or over just a little bit of time, that, that uh, unfold material will start to shrink and it'll, the threads will pull and the hole will be even worse in your, your old pants. There's something you don't do, right? No one does that. You can't, you can't mix the brand new and the old and get something great. Here's another thing you don't do. You don't have a fresh, you know, vat of fermented wine. And that's what would happen, right? I think that still happens. If you ferment the wine in like barrels or in vats. And then at a certain point when it's ready, you move the wine into like jars or wine skins, which are made of animal skin. And it'll do more fermenting while it's in there and it'll be releasing gases. And since it's in skin, you know, skin is elastic and it expands and it can handle what the wine does as it matures. But if you got brand new wine, you don't look for a wine skin that's had wine in it six or seven times already. Why? Because what's happened to that wine skin as it's expanded and come back and expanded and come back because of the wine? It's gotten brittle. It's gotten flaky. You ever had a leather jacket? I've never had a leather jacket. Only the cool kids have had a leather jacket. Uh, I did have a jean jacket with a Metallica patch on the back, which was pretty cool. Um, but if you've ever had a leather jacket, you see this over time, it gets brittle. And you can't throw new wine into wineskins that have been used a lot already because when it, the gases start to... When the wine starts to emit gas and it wants to expand, it'll have nowhere to go and pop and you'll lose the wine and the skins for crying out loud. You need, and he says, not new, you need fresh skins for fresh wine. And when the time of salvation comes upon you, you need new religious categories. That's hard. That's really hard. Let's not be too hard on the people who are trying to make sense of this. It's really hard for us to entertain new things God is doing, isn't it? It is. I know it is. I'm a minister for crying out loud. I watch it happen even to this day. But it would be really hard. What Jesus is claiming is happening and what they see is happening, this is a hard pill to swallow. 
and you need new categories. Don't try to supplement your religion with what's going on with Jesus. Let's just bring Jesus into what's, what we're already doing. That's great. Keep healing, but we need you to fast. Like, no, that's going to pop the wineskin. It's not going to work. You're going to hate me, and I'm going to hate you, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work for me to try to fit what God is doing with his reign into a, a religion which is seeking the very thing that is before them. <laughs> it's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to pour this into your religious categories. You're going to have to step out of that and come and see what God is doing. And that is going to be very difficult for Jesus. Jesus confronting things like that will mean his own death. It's no wonder the bridegroom will be taken. But, but Jesus' commitment is to what God is doing. Now, the new wine is a great, great metaphor, and the bridegroom, it's a great metaphor, but he's not really talking about fasting or weddings or wine or any of that. He's making a statement about the unique implementation of God's reign through Jesus Christ. That's what's going on in this. What, what, what's on display here in Mark is what we've called Christology. It's a, it's a statement about the Messiah in his reign. And it means new ways of relating to the world. But that will mean his own death and you will have to return to fasting. And so the church does. And now here's the predicament for us. We live on the other side of the bridegroom being taken and crucified and raised from death and ascended to the Father. And we live with the same sense of loss and absence. Yes, we could talk about a, a theology of the Spirit with us and God is always present. Yet, yeah, not like that meal at Levi's house. Not as he shall be one day among his people. But we are in this odd space of having to celebrate and feast because the time of salvation and the reign of God has been kicked off like the inauguration day of the president. The show is being run by a different king, a different Lord already. And it's great cause for the church to feast, to celebrate, to sing praises, to share God's abundance rather than to acquire wealth and power, to celebrate that God is so abundant and to give it away because we know the time. We know what time. You ever had a saying? Y'all know what time it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know what time it is? Like it's time. We live in the reign of God as the church. Yet we do not. Yet we live in a world where loss for, for one family that has good news of, of a pregnancy, like we learned today from Monica, there's another story where someone had a miscarriage. One person succeeds and others suffers with cancer. Some children go off to school, others sit in a hospital. Some people enjoy safety and eat out at South Palm Canyon Drive. Others hunker down in a war zone, right? We live in this world that is filled with loss and darkness and suffering. 
And the church has to be honest about both of those things. We can't just be honest about the darkness. What are we going to be like then? Right? Pessimists. Discouraged. Frightened. Not knowing what to do. If we're just excited about the things God is doing in the church and in our lives, we just become optimists. Right? Positive about the future. But no acknowledgement. And so here the church lives in this space where we have to learn to grieve and celebrate Because the kingdom of God has come, but it is not as it shall be just yet. And that means then, when hard times... I'm really excited. In like three weeks, uh, I'm going to get the opportunity to talk to you about Job, uh, book of the Hebrew Bible. Um, But So we'll encounter more of this. But for us... What we try to do in our society is we're taught to find a silver lining in every dark cloud, right? No more of that. (laughs) You're giving that up for Lent. (laughs) I'm not trying to make you a pessimist or say it's not good to look for the good in, in hard times. It's not what I mean. But we work really hard to locate meaning in every hard situation. In fact, we're, it's our way of grieving and deal with it. So, for example, I'm not trying to make this all about Monica, but Monica's story about all she went through, and now she's going to teach high schoolers. It'd be really easy to be like, okay, well, that's why I went through all that stuff. God was just trying to get me ready for high schoolers. We, we do that. We overinterpret our lives. We try to bring meaning to, well, this is why that terrible thing happened. But see, that way of looking at the world, just it's, it's a way of us telling ourselves, no, 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 everything's okay, everything's okay. Everything has its place. Whereas what Jesus is describing is is the church, a defiant act of faith. Yes, everything's okay, and no, everything's not okay. Some things happen, and there are no reason we're going to discover. That's what Job is all about. Brace yourselves for Job. I can't wait. It's such a profound story. Some bad things happen, and we never know why. And we can spend our whole lives trying to construct meaning out of it. But you know what the call is? To acknowledge, yeah, this place needs God. And we already have an indication of that salvation through Jesus Christ and what he's done. So that's what this season is, is about. Okay, how are you doing? Two more minutes. Just think about some ways this might show up. Um, so if Jesus and the religion and politics of his day could not be brought together any more than new wine and old wine, new patch and old pants can be brought together, right? What makes us think that anything's different for his followers the church also is not going to be able to supplement the religion, civic religion, watered-down forms of the Christian faith or anything else like that, or the politics of our day. It's not going to work. We are like fresh wine, and those are like skins that can't hold us. But we do this. 
We do it still. The church does this. We try to pour the time of salvation into categories that are, can't handle what we actually believe as the people of God. Imagine a time where conservatives and liberals acknowledge the folly of the political system and how penultimate it is. Do you know the word penultimate? Next to last. <laughs> it's not the ultimate thing. Our political system, we'll get so hyped up. Religion, we get so excited about it. We'll fight each other over it. But that's like pouring new wine into old skins. Jesus knew that's not going to work. I know you want to bring me into a side or an argument on, on different political or religious matters, but I'm telling you, there's that, and then there's what's happening with the kingdom of God. And actually bringing the two close is going to probably mean suffering for the Messiah and for the people of God. So this is, I think, this potent little story. Now remember, this is written for the church. The church that read this and got this first, they also didn't have Jesus sitting right next to them. They had to live this identity, the new wine the old wineskins and learning to live in and celebrate and fast and not give way to old ways of being that can't hold the ridiculous claims that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that his kingdom is ultimate and America is penultimate, that his kingdom is ultimate and Rome is penultimate. His kingdom is ultimate and Britain is pen. Do you see what I'm saying? See where this goes? It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work to try to blend the two. It's exclusive in that sense. Let's pray for the Lord's Supper. Hopefully there's enough to get you from what we've described to the bread and the cup in front of you. Father, we thank you for these texts, these stories which allow us, God, vision and give us a way of seeing. We thank you, Father, that the, to be in the kingdom of God, to, to live under your gracious reign, means celebration. It means healing the sick and encouraging the broken, binding up the wounds of the wounded, it's a cause for feasting. And we thank you, God, that because of that feasting, we can also look at fasting with a totally different set of eyes. We can look at the world of, of darkness and grieve it, but not fall into full-blown depression or despair. Teach us, God, how to live between the times as your people. Show us, God, where we are within time, God. Help us see individually and as a, as, a, as a community. Help us to see ourselves in light of the age of salvation. The ways that we need to turn and acknowledge what you're doing, even though it might cost us something. Even though certain... Uh, Ways of thinking might need to perish. Categories need to go away so that we can fully embrace. Thank you for this passage, God.
And we pray to live into it. Thank you for the bread and the cup. Thank you that Jesus was not afraid to tell the truth. Thank you that at the cross we imagine arms spread wide for the sake of humanity and all creation. Thank you that in this meal which remembers your broken body and your spilled blood, we see them through the lens of the resurrection and ascension and the hope of your return. That this very meal, why it is sobering and a little frightening, it is also a cause for great joy. We thank you, God, for all you give to us to teach us, all the tools you give to us to live in your world. It's through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.